Principal Matters Podcast, episode 266. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about questions from listeners with my co-host, Jen Schwanke. Jen Schwanke is an educator and leader from Dublin City Schools in Dublin, Ohio, and a frequent guest and co-host on this show. Jen Schwanke, it's been a while, though, since we've been in the room together. So before we jump into content this week, let's just catch up. How's life been leading in your new position at Dublin City Schools? Well, it's so great to be here. And yes, it has been a while. You know, when you launch a school new school year, all of a sudden you think, wait, where have the past seven weeks gone? So <laughs> it has been a good start, you know, um, relatively compared to what it could have been. Like the rest of the country, we are struggling with a lot of really important questions about um, not only our own uh, our own work as educators, but how that work fits into the larger scope of the work of our country. So a lot going on, but it has been a good start. And, um, you know, our district, we are back in person, masked um, it, as appropriate. And um, it's just so nice to have the kids back in school. You know, it's it's nice that we're all together again. So that's that's a celebration. That is a celebration. And we've been able to celebrate having kids back in our schools too. You know, my youngest is now a high school sophomore, Jen. So I've had the joy of watching him enjoy high school marching band. He plays the tuba. Right. So this weekend we went to a big tuba competi- uh, band competition and it's just fun to be back out. And, and across our state, there's just such a variety of places, some that are still wearing masks and others that have lifted those mask mandates. Um, I've just learned just like last year, that educators are resilient and patient and hardworking and tireless in their abilities to, to, to pivot. Um, I will say I'm just troubled at the, at the amount of stress I've seen administrators under, especially at the district levels of just trying to manage the concerns of parents from every direction. And, and that's not the topic of today's conversation, but I do want listeners to know that if you're facing a time in this fall semester. I know some of you guys are stepping into the fall and this is where the crunch starts before Christmas. Uh, no, you're not alone. I think we're all walking through a lot of similar paths together as we step into this this uh, fall semester. And Jen, this week, we've had a couple of questions from a listener who's actually sitting in an assistant principal position and has uh, been told that there's a principal opening in their district that might be happening at semester. And so a couple of questions came our way and I asked you if you would be willing to jump in the room with me and just kind of address some of these concerns. And so here they are And Principal Matters listeners. uh, This week, we're just gonna open up and and talk through some of these questions. And Jen, if we have time to open up some other questions, I'll I'll do that as well. But just to let listeners know what you and I are looking at, uh, this principal, sent uh, this question. After several years of serving as an assistant principal, he asked, quote, I have been mired in testing and discipline and bus routes, et cetera, for the past several years. I know a little about curriculum, but I need to beef up my knowledge in the coming weeks. What tips do you have for digging in and learning about curriculum? And I think the nexus of that question is I'm moving from assistant to site leader. And so I want to make sure that I have a better grip 
on the direction that teachers are going with curriculum. And I have several thoughts and I know you do as well, but let's just jump in. I'll ask you to go first. What are your first thoughts when you think about that question from that principal? Well, you know, I think a lot of assistant principals moving into a principal role, it can be scary because you have mastered a lot of those assistant principal responsibilities. Like you mentioned, you know, he's probably got testing down. He knows how to navigate discipline issues. Um, I know how to work with transportation and bus routes. Special education often lands as the um, on the assistant principal. And so he's probably feeling great about those, right? And you always feel a little vulnerable and unprepared for a principal role. Um, Will, you and I have talked about imposter syndrome. A lot of principals out there are thinking, well, wait, there's so much I don't know. And so I've, I've always said to aspiring principals, there's a dirty, dark secret out there. And that is that not many principals have memorized all the curricular learning standards. What good principals do, I think, is know people who have mastered it. So, you know, there's so many, especially if you have a, a lot of students or a lot of course offerings or a lot of grade levels in your school, it would be really impossible to know every single scope and sequence of every teacher aligned to every standard. But that's okay because you can, you can know people who know it. And one of the tricks that I used to become a really strong instructional leader was I utilized the evaluation process to ask questions. The results were twofold. One, I learned. And two, the teacher needed to articulate the reasons behind instructional decisions they made. And those conversations in post-observation conferences were so helpful because the teacher knew I wasn't trying to catch them because I didn't know what I didn't know. And so it became a conversation and it became a um, side-by-side learning opportunity for both of us. And through that, you know, give me a couple of years doing that. I knew curriculum pretty well. Well, and I love this question too, because you can apply it K-12. You spent so many years in the elementary setting and I spent so many years in the secondary setting. And in both settings, it's easy to feel overwhelmed when you realize how many different grade levels and and how many, how many subjects are being covered and, and how vast the curriculum is when you are stepping into any school. So I think it's really important to keep it simple. And so the, the first thing that I like to tell principals, just like you said, Jen, is to realize you don't have to be the expert. There are other people that are experts in, in content and in curriculum or specific subject matter areas. But what you need to be able to focus on is what's what learning is taking place in the classroom, because learning um, outcomes are, are what's important. So I always try to boil it down to something really simple and just, you know, first make sure that I'm, I'm focusing on, you know, what are the standards? And, and that's going to look different from place to place. And so the person who wrote this is in a different state than you and me, Jen, but I do know that every state and almost every district has specific learning standards that they have for grade levels and that they have for specific subject areas. And so that's one place to start in terms of as, as a principal is make sure you have access to what those standards are. You're not going to memorize standards for every class and every subject area that you have, but you can know how to locate them and make sure that lesson plans are connected to those standards. Make sure that you've got curriculum maps that help guide what things teach, what standards teachers should be covering. And, and then I like to bring it back to my own classroom experience too, Jen, and just think about in my own classroom experience, 
there's always a lot of debate. Now, I think you and I were both language arts people. So there's always a lot of debate over like what novel am I teaching or what play am I, are we reading, et cetera. And really that's so secondary to what's most important. And what's most important is what are the learning standards here for these kids? And so I'll just give a quick example. If I was going to be teaching at language arts at the high school level, and I chose to teach letters from a Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King Jr., that's relevant material. It's from our own history. Obviously, it's an important time in, in the in the history of our students. But really, what's what do I want my students to learn there? I'm probably going to be focusing on things like persuasive writing, rhetorical strategies. And then I'm going, be, I'm going to be looking at those critical thinking skills that students need to organize their thoughts and write persuasively themselves. So it's not necessarily the content of what we're reading that's as important as the outcomes that we have. So for principals listening to this, just think about when you step into a classroom, just like what Jen said earlier, how do you know that students are learning? What are they learning and how do you know that they're learning it? And then when you're sitting down with teachers, then that's what guides your questions too. What do you, what do you believe is going well in your lessons and what do you think needs to be improved? I don't know about you, Jen, but it, teachers can guide those conversations often better than you can by just simply putting the, the, the question back to them. Right, exactly. And, and also watching how they ask questions of students too, because, you know, part of what we're doing here as educators is not just addressing those content standards, but we're teaching our students to think and to find words and language to express what they've learned. And all of that can be replicated when you talk with teachers as well. So, you know, ask them to tell you how they're thinking or what they're thinking. A really important concept for, for principals to grasp, I think, is, is the idea that you can have the exact same standard being taught in two different classrooms and it looks very different. Mm -hmm. And the key is that's okay. That's okay. A lot of times new principals will make the mistake of thinking classrooms needed to look like they looked when that principal was teaching. So, you know, the, the format, the way students are seated, the pace of the lesson, the noise level in the, in the room, the resources used, the output asked of students, they do not need to be similar for students to be learning. And so again, how, do, how can you tell that they're learning? That's a, that's a really important question to ask teachers because as a principal, you may go to room 236 and see one environment, room 238 and see another environment and room 240 and completely different, but they're all teaching the same subject. And so for a, a principal that can be confusing and a little overwhelming because you might think, well, well, what's the standard? And if you can't tell, that's a great question to ask the teachers. But if you can tell, there's so much um, fulfillment to be found in seeing how different teachers approach the same, the same standard and the same goal of outcomes. I like that. And I know you and I could really get in the weeds here, but I'll try not to get too far in the weeds. But I was looking just last week at some research on what makes strong professional learning communities, because I like to look back myself and just kind of be reminded of the concepts that help schools grow. And you and I both know that I mean, right, right off the top of the list, we could say that, you know, it has to be a collaborative community, people that are willing to work together and share ideas. It has to be a school where you structured teachers so that they can be close to one another and provide feedback, a school that encourages observations and mentorship among teachers. But, you know, the piece that stood out to me in that research I was looking at last week, Jen, was schools that also still encourage 
autonomy among teachers, even with shared standards. And I think that's so important because I think sometimes we get so caught up in our of making sure that we're all set on what we should be teaching for learning outcomes that we forget that it's going to look different and it should look different. But that's what's the beautiful part of, of education. Exactly. I remember I worked with a team once that um, they warned me. I, I was new to the building and they said, we want you to know we, we plan together, we collaborate all the time, and our classrooms look very, very different. And the other grade levels in the school prided themselves in being kind of lockstep. They did the exact same thing in the exact same days. They helped one another with resources. They lined up. And, you know, there were benefits to that. If, if a teacher was out for a sub or whatever, the plans were made, it was all set. But this team, it was something pretty magical because they all knew exactly where they were and what they were doing, but their classrooms could not have been more different. And they all embraced their own strengths. They knew how to create a curricular approach that, um, spoke to their teaching styles. And what was really wonderful was after a few years, as they got more and more comfortable together, and I got comfortable with who they were as teachers, we could place students in the environment that best suited them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, longevity is a beautiful thing. If you have a strong team dynamic in which each teacher feels very free to be who they are as their best instructional self and standards in that kind of environment are both the foundation and secondary, if that makes sense. It, it's it's what drives them, but it isn't the only driver. Well, and, and I'll point listeners to the resource that I was just referring to, Jen, that supports everything you just said. Um, in case you're wondering what research I was looking at, I was looking back at Schools as a Professional Learning Community by Sylvia Robert and Eunice Pruitt uh, from Corwin Press that was uh, originally um, some research they looked back at it in the 90s, but then they published that in 2009. And it was just, it's, it's just, it was just reaffirming to me of how strong learning communities are collaborative but distinctive. And I think that's a great tension to have that you you should right. welcome the fact that things are going to look different around your school because every person, every teacher is different, every classroom is different, every kid is different. And that's a that's a beautiful thing. I think on the on the one hand, it can be overwhelming when you're trying to wrap your mind around how do I manage and guide curriculum. But on the other hand, you have to you, you have to embrace the fact that it's going to it's going to be messy. It's not going to be perfect, but over time, you learn how to provide those guiding questions so that you have a better sense of what's really happening here, and does the teacher, because they're the person who's most important in reflecting on the learning in that classroom, do they know how to reflect on what's happening in, here, and how do I refine my teaching as well? And let's talk to the lucky districts out there that have instructional coaches that have prioritized um, you know, learning and standards and, and supporting uh, other teachers by investing in instructional coaches. If you mm -hmm. don't have that resource, I'm very, very sorry, because instructional coaches can be such a help to principals who are learning the standards, especially new principals. You can build up a really, really strong relationship of um, collaboration with the instructional coach is kind of a liaison if you're lucky enough to have that role. And if not, ask for it. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to have. Well, and for principals who aren't privileged enough to have that kind of support in your right, Jen, what it, it's beautiful when districts invest that kind of support into their schools because principals need those kinds of supports in their buildings. But if you're in a place where you don't have those supports, then realize that you are not to lead alone. You have other people within your building who have stronger subject area content expertise than you do. 
So lean on them. And I know in our case, for instance, years ago, before we had a, an instructional leader, before we even had a curriculum director committed to our building full-time, we had one of our veteran teachers who we created an additional planning period for so she could begin to provide that kind of coaching to teachers around her because she just had that expertise. And she she taught us, even, even the principals in the building, she would help us understand better focuses on understanding curriculum too. So lean on the people around you because you've got folks around you all the time who already know more than you do about certain areas too. And so being a curriculum, being an instructional leader doesn't mean you're the expert. It means recognizing what resources are available and, and that includes people and in, in leaning on them too. And before we move to the second question, I really love what you just said about, you know, maybe being flexible with the schedule to empower some of those instructional experts. Another idea is stipend work. You know, if you have just a little bit of extra money in your budget, if you could, um, you know, throw a little stipend or supplemental towards somebody who's willing to deconstruct standards and provide some resources and some insight, you can really be creative. You know, again, if your district isn't lucky enough to have an instructional coach on staff, you can find those people and empower them through creative needs. Well, and I'll just throw this out too, Jen. I didn't plan on saying this, but you know, in the context in which you and I work now, we've even had the opportunity to step into school districts virtually and provide feedback. And so if you're in a place that's remote or maybe you don't have the resources for full-time curriculum instruction or or coaching, or or maybe you want to enhance that as well, goodness gracious, what an opportunity we have now virtually to reach out to experts in other districts or in your state or even outside and just pull them in to, to settings where you can do some some one-on-one coaching with somebody who doesn't even have to physically be in your building. And uh, and, and just in case you don't know, Jen Schwanke would be a great person to reach out to for that kind of feedback. Jen, I'm going to put a plug in for you because I, oh, believe, yeah. <laughs> I, I also believe you've got some uh, possible PD coming up soon with ASCD. What's yes, going on there? Yes, I do. Yes. ASCD is having their October symposium coming up and um, there's going to be an article on the ASCD Express and, and some other exciting things coming from ASCD in the coming months. So um, yeah, lots of fun things going on. So um, you didn't, you didn't plan on saying that, but I'm glad you did not just for myself, Will, but for you too. And there's so many other people out there willing to help. So find the resources, find the support. Nobody's in this alone. That's so true. Well, the second question was also really interesting because this question, the, the reader was, or the listener was asking a follow-up, which was, um, a question on goal setting. He said, quote, I need to have a reasonable, I need to have reasonable goals for a school over three to five years. And I clearly want to address learning gaps due to COVID and achievement for minority students. Are there other areas that you would recommend I look at? And so I thought this was a great question in terms of how does how does a leader think about long-term when they're stepping, especially when they're thinking about transitioning from assistant to principal of how to set those short-term and long-term goals. So let me pose that question, Jen, and then we can decide which direction we want to go first. Well, I'll tell you, I think we should go your direction first. I think Mm -hmm. um, you have experience in supporting principals and writing SMART goals. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? And then Mm -hmm. I'd like to add on about how you can pair with your teachers to set some goals as well. Sure. Let me just go back a few years in my own experience, because this principal who asked this question is in a similar place where I was. I was still serving as an assistant principal when I had the opportunity to apply for a principal role in my own district. And one of the questions that I was asked in that interviewing process from the district leadership was to 
come into that interview with some some goals, one year, three year, five year. And I would I would really encourage leaders to think about this, no matter where you are, maybe you're already in a principal position or maybe you're looking to transition, but when is the last time you've sat down and actually thought through what do you, I specifically, what am I targeting for this next year? What am I targeting three years from now? And what am I targeting five years from now? And I would even add an additional component, which is, especially if you're going to be the, a new principal, what's the first 100 days going to look like so that you can really set some short-term goals. And there's a couple of guiding questions that I would include there. First is, what are we doing that's already working? And then two, what do we need to change or improve? And the best way to do this is by conversations with the people you're going to serve. If you're stepping into a role where you have the opportunity to engage one-on-one conversations with teachers or maybe small focus groups, and I would even say include as many students and parents in these kinds of conversations as you can, the better. Now, if you're stepping into a position mid-year, that's harder because it's a little different with holidays to work that in. But I've known principals who will land a position and then over the summer, they just work lots and lots of these conversations into uh, opportunities with their communities. And you'd be really surprised what comes to the surface when you spend time asking those just those two questions. What's going on here that's working? And what do we need to, to change or improve? And, and Jen, this is just reminding me of some of the tips that you give in your first book, You're the Principal, Now What? Those strategies that new principals can have when they're stepping into those buildings. But, but as you're asking those questions, you also need to take some time to look at some of your achievement data. And so if you have uh, test scores from previous years, if you have access to formative or summative assessments, then then look at those together so that you can maybe see some trends that aren't coming out in the conversations that you're having, because you want to make sure that whatever goals you're considering, they're supported by that data. But once you have that running list of responses from the from stakeholders and you've got a good look at data, then you can start setting your goals for what you want those things to be in the short term and in the long term. And I would not do this alone. If you've got other people that you're identifying among uh, teachers and staff that are strong leaders and are, are, uh, that are um, showing themselves to be potentially great partners in, in planning goals, then reach out to them for suggestions too. But, but when you do set goals, and you mentioned this earlier, Jen, I, I really encourage leaders to, to take time to uh, make those SMART goals. And if, if you want a, um, an access to a, a small little PD that I put together on, on how to help a team set SMART goals, I'll put a link in the show notes to some content that I shared out a couple of years ago. But, but a SMART goal has to be specific. It has to be measurable. It has to be achievable. It has to be relevant and it has to have a timeline. And so whenever you're thinking through what those goals are, whatever they are, short-term or long-term, make them specific, figure out how am I going to measure that I've actually made uh, advanced in this specific area? Is it something that we can actually achieve? Is it relevant to the needs that we have? And then make sure that you have specific actions set up so that that timeline is something that's attainable as well. So Jen, I know you have a few thoughts to add that to that as well. And that's a lot of feedback about how to set goals in, in a short time. Well, I'm glad you mentioned smart goals. I know, you know, even myself, sometimes I do the little eye roll. I'm like, smart, smart <laughs> goals. But when you really stop and think about what it means, what's, what could possibly be, be, um, go wrong if you set goals that are specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and have a timeline, because, you know, I, I, I think when we sit down to think about goals, there's great comfort in those five 
characteristics because it kind of, it, it keeps you from going way off in some direction that you won't be able to sustain. So if, if you stick to smart goals, they, they really do help you make them reasonable and achievable. The other thing I like that you said is to start with what is working. I have, I've worked with principals before and, you know, the school, school culture is really in trouble after, you know, a, a year or two of them being in the building. And I will say, okay, tell, take me back to what did you do? And any principal that approaches their work or goal writing as though something is broken, really do struggle. And by that, I mean, in the language we use with our staff, we have to get better. We have to improve. We're not going to do things the day we, the way we did before. All of those are very insulting to a staff that has been around for a while. And so I think it, it behooves principals to take care with the words they use and really focus on those things that are working. Let those be part of goals. Let those be starting points to send a message that, you know, things are broken and I'm here to fix it with my smart goals (laughs) will not go well. Another, you know, another thing to add to that is the fact that you have time, take your time. I, I love 100 day plans. I think a lot of people do have great success in those, but I don't think, um, implementing goals in those hundred days is wise. I think those hundred days need to be spent building relationships, finding out what's working, um, thinking about how you can measure, achieve and develop relevant, um, time-based goals. So take your time. Don't my favorite saying ever, don't be a sledgehammer looking for nails, take your time and, and think through where you really want to be in five years. And, and you don't need to just blow things up in the first few weeks. Oh, that's so good, Jen. And I think that brings it full circle to just the importance of remembering that, that relationships first and reaching goals second, because you're not going to reach goals until you first invested in those relationships. And so that's why I think it's so important when you're even considering the, the action plans that come with goals and and districts often ask you, show me what these goals are going to be. They have to be done within the foundation of conversations with the people who they're going to affect the most. And so those, those are the conversations that should be guiding the direction that you want to go. You can't set the goals unless you're first having the conversations. And similarly, after you've set your own goals, you might want to pair with teachers to guide them to do the same. That, that means that none of this is just left to chance, right? You, you can have teachers write goals similar to yours. You can do it collaboratively. Goals are so, um, so helpful. I really think they are, even though setting goals can sometimes feel a little bit like a cliche, if you do it with the right mindset and focus and teamwork, there's really is accountability there and sharing the process with others. Well, I'll tell a quick story because, you know, I'm a storyteller and this might be a good way to wrap up this first part of our conversation. But when I was a high school language arts teacher, you know, and I especially remember having this conversation with ninth graders because they were coming into high school for the first time. And usually within the first day or two of school, we would have this conversation with all my kids where I would say, "Um, I want you to just picture for a moment that you've been invited to a soccer game and you show up on on the field there are two soccer teams and they're dressed out in their uniforms and they're looking great. And this is a big game. So they've even invited cheerleaders, which, which rarely come to soccer games, but here they are. And so we've got parents and we've got teams and we've got the referees and the coaches and the, and the ref rolls the ball out into the middle of the field. 
and blows the whistle to start the game. And then we suddenly pause and look and we realize that that someone has forgotten to set the goals up at the at the end of the field. <laughs> See? And so, and, I, and so I would stop and ask my my freshman kids, what would you do if, if that happened at a game? And they just laugh. You know, that's really stupid because you know, <laughs> somebody would have figured that out before time. And I said, yeah, think about how awkward and weird and ridiculous that would feel like to be at a game where people forgot to set up the goals. And I said, right. but you know what? But you know what happens every year, every single year across this nation, millions of high school kids show up and they, because they're supposed to be at school. So they, here they are, they got their papers and their pencils and their backpacks and they're ready to go, but they really don't have a goal. Like they, right. no, nobody's really helped them like figure out why am I here and what am I actually going to achieve this year? And so you, you can see where I went with that analogy, Jen. And so I would ask them when we started the school year together, I want you to think about right now, what, what are your goals for this class going into the semester? And it can be anything. It could be, I just want to make a certain grade, or I really want to learn how to write, or I'm just here because I have to be, but I'm going to, I'm going to attend every day, you know, whatever it is. Now, now let's flip that narrative because I think sometimes in teaching and education, we forget why we're here. You know, we forget that that if unless we're setting reasonable, meaningful goals for ourselves, then we're just spinning our wheels. And and our kids figure that out pretty quickly when we're showing up without a meaningful purpose for their learning. And so we can apply that a million different ways. But for this listener who wrote in these questions today, I, I know that as you're thinking about these transitions of how do I become an instructional leader and, and how do I set goals for, for the future as I look ahead at these, just bring all of that back to full circle for the, the purpose of why you even want to be a school leader, which is obviously so that you can enrich the learning and the outcomes for kids. And so I, I think if you keep that mission and that goal in mind of, of the purpose that you're there, then it's going to help you. It's going to help these things that you're working on right now, not seem so much like a chore but they're going to they're going to help guide you um, along the, the purpose of those goals that you set for yourself. So, so Jen, any thoughts you want to add as we as we wrap this up? Yeah, I don't want to get too deep or too philosophical, but you you threw me a softball there. I have to take it. <laughs> this is not a profession that we can just get through the days. It's too long. The career takes too much out of us, and it is has such potential for such fulfillment that to wake up with the goal of getting back home and going to bed is not, that's, that does not a career make. We really should set goals and think, how am I going to make this day incredible? How am I going to make this year incredible? How am I going to make my school and the teachers in it have something that really drives them? And so not to, not to wax too poetic, but this really is such an opportunity, not only for our but for the people we lead. And so, um, you know, setting goals and, and is really about getting, finding pur purpose. And so that's what I would encourage, encourage this principle to do a three to five year plan is a great idea and it will help drive the reason that everyone is there. Yeah. I love that. And I know you and I could just keep on going here. I'll add one more thought too. But we I, always I was, do. I know. Yeah, Look yeah, at yeah. us. <laughs> well, I was I was I was coaching a, a, an administrator who was looking at a principal position probably a year ago, and she was relating to me. I was asking her to practice for me, like your your opening comments in in an interview. Like, how would you introduce yourself? And she began to go through kind of her resume. You know, these are the things I've done. And I paused and said, "Now hold on." you have a powerful personal story. I mean, she was a young woman who had moved here um, 
originally as an immigrant and then had like worked really hard to achieve a, a degree and, and then become a teacher. And, and so she had this amazing personal story of like, of endurance and perseverance that led her into education. I said, why don't you start with that story instead? And so she switched the narrative as we were practicing. And um, subsequently, I, you know, the, the, the yay moment was that a few weeks later, she called back that she had been offered the position. And so, and I'm not saying it's because she told a great story that she got that position, but the, the point is, instead of making the resume her, her what was on the front of her mind, I'm, I'm qualified for these reasons. She, she used the purpose. I'm, I'm not only am I, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't qualified. You wouldn't have even called me in. So now let me give you the heart of why this position is something I really want to do because that's going to guide your goals. And it's certainly going to help. Um, it's going to help you be more than just a principal. It's also going to help you be a leader. Right. And so, so, so Jen, oh, talking to you always <laughs> makes my brain just think about a million things, but <laughs> principal matters listeners. I hope this conversation has been helpful for you. If you have questions that you would like to float our way, please reach out to me at will at williamdparker.com. Jen, remind folks how they can stay connected with you and find your resources. Absolutely. They can find me at Jen Schwanke um, at, at gmail.com. That's an email address. They can uh, drop me a note or my website, jenschwanke.com. Well, Principal Matters listeners, thank you again for doing what matters. And we'll talk to you again soon. Take care, everyone.